Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is an hour of manliness. This is an hour. Right, that's it. Hello, welcome to the Mouth of Manliness. Um, this is another uh, Zoom interview, but I've got a pretty amazing guest today. Um, probably the biggest guest we've had, uh, Mr. Frank Turner. <laughs> Thank you Hello. for having Thank you for having me. I have been putting on some uh, some lockdown pounds, it has to be said. So, yes, biggest <laughs> guest. <laughs> good to me. Well, if not, put on a bit of weight now, why not? That's what I figured. Well, yeah, me too. I mean, what, what are you going to do, really, at this point? Um, uh, I think that of all of the things that are bothering us right now, having a few extra kind of pounds on the belly isn't too bad. I'm not worried about it. I, I tell you, as I said, I'm kind of, um, I'm quite enjoying it. You know that, uh, mm. just take, you know, like the feeling that you have to be doing something or you have to yeah. be, like just having that taken off your shoulders. I, I find it really nice. Yeah, I do know what you mean. I mean, I've, I sort of oscillate, to be honest, um, between having good days and bad days. But um, the good days for me are the ones where I either accidentally or deliberately convince myself that I'm on holiday or that I'm doing this voluntarily. Do you know what I mean? And then it's just kind of like a laugh, you know. Um, uh, but um, there are the days when you think of things you want to go out and get done and then you can't. And then that's when it starts getting a bit kind of oppressive for me. But like, there's definitely, particularly when the weather's good, because um, we're really lucky. I live with my wife, obviously, um, and we've got a little bit of outdoor space. And on a really hot, sunny day, you can kind of sit on a like a deck chair in a garden or whatever, and sort of convince yourself you're on holiday, and that's all right. Yeah, yeah, I'm lucky enough to have a garden. So initially, um, we were meant to meet a completely different way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we didn't even get country. to announce it. Yeah, no, I know, I know. The whole thing, I mean, as you can imagine, the whole thing is quite heartbreaking for me. But yes, we had you guys invited to come over for the Lost Evenings Festival in Berlin that was supposed to be starting um, about 10 days from now. Yeah. Uh, less than about a week from now, actually. Um, which obviously is my big thing that I do. I mean, I do lots of things with the year, but that's become one of the big things I do with my year. And the fact that we had to pull this year is heartbreaking on many levels, not least that we didn't get to meet and do our thing that we were going to yeah, do. Yeah. But you, yeah, nicely agreed to come and do this instead, which is all yeah. good. It's, it's it, much like the live stream stuff I've been doing. It's not it's not a terrible substitute, and given the situation, it will do, but I hope that we do get to do this properly at some point down the line. Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely still want to do it. I'm so excited. Um, but, yeah, four nights at Berlin Arena. It's pretty, mm. it's pretty mega, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, to be honest, like there's huge swathes of my... 
career that I regard as being pretty mental. And like, it's funny because on the one hand, I don't want to sort of constantly make out like I'm some ingenue being surprised by my reality all day, every day. That's a bit put on. But at the same time, I like the fact that I still have a sense of kind of like fucking hell about quite a lot of what I do. And I don't want to lose that. Do you know what I mean? To be able to do something like that, or to, even to, to play at any kind of large venue, to be able to do that under your own scene is an amazing thing. And I don't want to get blase about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, you know, because one of the things for me is like, you know, we booked the show. My German promoters went down and checked out the space and said it was the right space to do it. Um, but I hadn't actually been there until February. We were on tour in Germany anyway. And I took, on a day off, I went up to Berlin to, um, to go and have a look. And um, I was just walking around and being like, fucking hell look at this like you know this is you know this is amazing we're gonna have two stages we're gonna have the discuss groups gonna have blah 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 all this all the kind of stuff that we usually do and it was just such a a wonderful thing to be able to walk around there and imagine it and unfortunately at this point imagining is all that i'm gonna do for this year's lost evenings uh, yeah, which yeah. is a real shame but you know uh, there's, there's always next year's, um, what was it, on XFN they were saying today, like Dave Grohl's note to, uh, love letter to live music and saying... I did see that, yeah. It was a well-written piece, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the, I think that a lot of people are coming out of this with a real sense of what they're missing, you know, it's Joni Mitchell, you don't know what you got till it's gone. Um, I mean, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and he was telling me that like literally like uh, 10 days before lockdown started, somebody invited him to go to a gig of a band that he quite likes. And he sort of went, oh, you know what? It's been a long week. I can't be asked. And didn't go. Whereas now he's like, I will literally go and see any band. Like <laughs> it doesn't fucking matter. I just want to go to a gig. So yeah, I think that people are really starting to like appreciate what we're missing. Yeah. I had like the best summer set up. Like I was, we were, gonna do um camp festival no we're gonna do yours first then camp festival and like as being like uh, a failed musician i've always <laughs> i've never got to do like a festival or do like a proper big gig like the biggest yeah. i ever did was uh coco and um right. and i always wanted to like the idea of playing a proper festival on that and then i don't know i just resigned myself to the fact that you know these things will happen again. You know, the best bit was the being asked to do it. You know, that feeling yeah. you get. Yeah, and like, yeah. Like, you, can still, you can still that. bank that. You can still bank that, yeah. I mean, it's funny. I was, another friend of mine I was chatting to, I'm doing quite a lot of, one of my things that I've been doing in lockdown, which I would recommend, is calling rather than texting. Like, on a normal in normal life, if I get a text from a mate, I'll just text back and there you go, that's done. Whereas now, you know, everyone's got time. And if I get a text from a mate, particularly somebody I haven't seen in a long time, I'm like, fuck it, call them back. Like FaceTime, do you know what I mean? And just like, I, not, because otherwise you don't talk to anyone like other than whoever you're living with. And I love my wife very much, so that's great. But like, you know, it's nice to just share some, literally some FaceTime with some people um, from time to time. But yeah, I was... I was chatting to a mate of mine the other day and he was saying that his, his proposal is that we just declare next January to be January 2020 again um, and just, you know, just kick off the 2020s again, just restart and just write this year off. Yeah, I think like, that's the way to do it, isn't it? Like, that's totally yeah. my thoughts. But I've just, um, I don't know, I've kind of been using the time working hard on this, really. Mm. So it's kind of been a good, Give me some good time to kind of um, be productive. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, and play guitars and that, you know. <laughs> so it's been quite nice. Nice, no, good. 
I so it's funny, like at the beginning of this, I did sort of say to myself that one of the silver linings to all of this was that it was a focused time to be productive, you know, and there's no distractions. And I've got, I'm, I'm writing a new record at the minute yeah. and all that. And, and um, I have to say, like, I, I've been through a bit of a roller coaster on that because at the beginning I was like, yes, no distractions. And that worked for about five days. And then I went, hold on, there is a big distraction, which is the global pandemic. Yeah. Um, and then, do you know what I mean? Which counts. Um, and then I, I sort of got quite frustrated and didn't, wasn't creative at all for a little while. But I've sort of, you know, we're all getting used to it now. I, I mean, I don't know about you, I couldn't tell you how long we've been on lockdown. If you told me it was like 14 years, I'd probably believe you. I, well, I think like it's like eight there. weeks now. I think it's Yeah, like it's, I mean, it's, it's adding up, certainly. Yeah, it's weird. Like I'm, a, uh, I do artwork, and I, I tend to draw constantly, like every night. And you know, I thought with the lockdown, it would really kind of push me into doing more artwork. But in in, in a weird way, I've just kind of gone numb. You know, like, well, numb. like yeah, that's kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's just yeah. It, it is slightly paralysing because you know, I mean, for one of the things for me as a songwriter. You know, I feel like there's going to be a glut of songs about lockdown and social distancing and this kind of thing. Um, you know, in about a year's time when people get around to recording them properly. And, and I can sort of understand why. And I have definitely written a couple of lockdown songs myself, but I, I, don't, I don't think it's the, the most important thing to write a song about. Do you know what I mean? There's more things. But at the same time, it's really hard to think about anything else. Do you know what I mean? So you just sit there being like, oh, it looks like I'm writing another lockdown song. And like... Uh, I think you'll get right with it, Frank. You, you, you seem to um, sit in a place in music where uh, you're like... Um, you can't really do a lot wrong, it seems. <laughs> you're in a really nice spot. Because like, you still kind of draw a lot of crowds. A lot of people come to see you. A lot of people like really love your stuff. But yeah. um, at the same time, it seems as though you can kind of fly under the radar as well. Yeah, I mean, I definitely occupy a weird place in the music industry. Um, uh, and uh, I was chatting, I do a weekly chat with a guy called Jarrett from the band Bowling for Soup, who's a mate, and we've just got yeah. into this rhythm of chatting to each other. And one of, they've been around for a while. And one of the things we were chatting about is the fact that there, you own, but, but just but the business of endurance over a long period of time at a certain level earns you quite a lot of kind of like protection. Do you know what I mean? It's because after a certain point, it's like if any band that's got eight records out, that's had, you know, have many in the top three or whatever. I'm, and I'm trying not to blow smoke up my ass here, but you know, you know what I mean? Or, or plays large venues or whatever it is. You reach a point where it's like, well, what, are you, what the fuck are you going to say about it? Do you know what I mean? And like, I feel there's definitely been times in my life when I've kind of edged more towards being kind of, for want of a less naff term, like mainstream. And I sort of just about dipped into that world for about six months and then out again. And at the time, you know, being 100% honest, um, I was ambitious for that, but in retrospect, I'm kind of glad that it didn't sort of kind of fold into that world because, as you say, like I sort of it is still slightly under the radar what I do. You know what I mean? It's like I go to the shop, no one gives a shit, and I'm, I don't get invited to celebrity parties, and I wouldn't go anyway. But like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's I like it, in some ways, it makes what you do do special. I think you know, like the last weekend's thing seems it's got it's got a more personal feel to it. You know, especially whereas it wasn't like, ah, oh, this name's playing. You know, it wasn't all blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Like, are these, like, is it interesting acts and that? Like, Rollins. Yeah. Is. Yeah, definitely. And, well, I mean, I was really proud of the lineup this year as well, because obviously Rollins is a huge deal for me personally. Yeah, yeah, but I was really pleased we had Catfish and the Bottom Man on the bill as well, because they are a sort of younger, newer, and arguably kind of like, again, naff terminology, but like hotter band than me. But like, they, 
it makes sense for them to play before me in Germany, probably nowhere else in the world. But they were into it because they're nice guys. And we had Katie Tunstall, who I love. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Turbo Start is this amazing German punk band. It was just a cool lineup. Do you know what I mean? Um, but it, it is very sort of personalized in the sense that, like, one of my favorite things to do with my life is pick the bill for Lost Evenings. Do you know what I mean? I get, I get to book a fucking festival. It's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Best job ever. Right, exactly. And, and in fact, I should, I should add that when I say I booked the festival, I come up with ideas and throw them at my booking agent and then he goes and does the hard work. So he's definitely the one actually doing the job. Even better. Even better. Even better. No, I know. Even better. I'll tell you what I had to say was I had a friend who knows you from the kind of hardcore punk days. Right. He said to see if you remembered him. He was a singer in a band called Sun Starved Day. His name's Stuart Turner. I know Stuart, yeah. Fucking hell, I haven't seen Stuart in a very long time. Um, Sun Starved Day was, um, was Andrew O'Neill's band, who's now doing really well as a comedian. Um, uh, yeah, so it was it was it was Stuart, um, and it was Andrew, a guy called John Atkins, who's now in remote viewing, uh, and a few other people. There was a bit of a revolving cast in that band, but yeah, I remember Stuart. I haven't seen him forever. Please do say hi for me. Oh, I totally will. It'll be made up. It'll be really made up. Yeah. He's all grown up. He's a social worker now. Nice, good, excellent. Yeah, he's, doing, so he's doing something constructive, like yeah. <laughs> something socially valuable. <laughs> constructive. So, um, when did you, so you, did you kind of first be able to make a living off of music quite young then? Um, no, I, well, I mean, yes, in the grand scheme of things, but like not immediately. Um, I think, and I, and, and I kind of cheated. I mean, so, um, I didn't ever really make a living out of Million Dead, the band I was in before. Um, uh, I mean, I got to a point right towards the end where I didn't have a day job. But I succeeded in doing that by essentially moving out of the flat I was in, selling all my shit or putting it in storage, um, and then sofa surfing. And then also, like, between Million Dead tours, I would crew for other bands. So I would go out and, like, you know, guitar tech or sell T-shirts or whatever it was, because otherwise I would wear out the patience of my friends whose sofas I was sleeping on. So I didn't, you know, before then, for, for a good sort of five, six years, I I was being a musician and working like telesales or temp jobs or whatever it was that was available for, that I could do and then fuck off on tour when required, which right. as I'm sure you know is, is the great sort of like dichotomy of that shit. But taking that leap to, to sort of go, as it were, full time, like I say, I sort of cheated in that I got rid of all my expenses, essentially, <laughs> yeah. um, which made it easier to live off very little, which I then did for quite a long time. And I actually, I had a funny moment in my life um, where um obviously you know i make a living these days and 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 um uh, i'm comfortable and that's very nice and i'm very grateful for that but i sort of reached a point where i was kind of making enough to have a comfortable living but i was so used to living in such a way that i didn't do have that that i was still i was sleeping in a storeroom above a pub um uh next to the empty beer crates and stuff and that's that's where i lived for a couple of years and um it's like uh, imposter syndrome. Oh, like. kind of. Well, my 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 my, my I, I have to have an accountant legally. My accountant said to me at one point, he was like, "Why the fuck are you still living in a pub, you weird bastard?" He was like, "Get a place," and uh, I was like, "Oh wow, really? Am I allowed to do that?" And he was like, "Yes, you're allowed to do that, you weirdo." Um, so uh, so yeah, so me and my mate Dave got a flat together, and it was um, it was kind of quite a big thing. But then the funny thing about that is that like this is how how um, 
how sort of like judgmental some people on the punk scene can be. And I should say that I'm, I say all of this with good humor because really, yeah, yeah. Was. but like that, you know, I'd sort of had this rep as the guy who doesn't live anywhere. Who's always on tour. I got my own place and I just sort of mentioned it in an interview or on social media or something and like got shit for it. It was like, Oh, well, you know, you sold out, you live somewhere. He's got money now, he's sold out. It's like, oh, now he pays rent. What a sellout. And it was just like, come on. Um, but yeah, so uh, I do now. This is a house I live in with my missus and very nice it is too. Do you reckon they still say that to like, uh, like the guys from Fugazi and that fucking sellout? <laughs> Look at them now. Probably. Probably. Yeah. I mean, the first time I got called a sellout was when with Million Dead, we done a bunch of tours in like a panel van with all our shit in the back we're just sort of sitting on the back of it and then you know three people up front kind of thing yeah. and then we got to a point where we could do a tour and it had like a splitter van that had like you know seats in the back with like a little tv and a, and a dvd player and stuff and and that van came to pick us up from our rehearsal studio we used to rehearse at this place that was sort of a squat and um when the van came to pick us up the guy who ran the rehearsal studio was like oh you think you're fucking motley crew um <laughs> 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 no, yeah, right. It was like, I wish I was in Motley Crue. I'd have a fucking bus. Um, but, you know, it was. It, it, it seemed to me at that point in time that the bar was quite low for what constituted it selling out as far as the purest punks were concerned. So, fuck it, who cares? I know, you, but you can't, it, like, any modicum of success is selling out, especially mm. to that kind of pure punk... Punk kind of, uh, the, the thing is, I have to I have to look at that with a degree of forgiveness because I'm absolutely sure that when I was a teenager, I in, I indulged in some of that rhetoric about other bands. Do you know what I mean? And and like and and therefore, what are you going to do? Do you know what I mean? I remember writing a song for my first band, it was Dreadful, uh, and it was called <laughs> Sold Out, and it was about Nirvana. It's like Nirvana's so fucking sold out. Right, <laughs> I, I just prefer mud onions. They're like, they've sold out, and I ate pearl jam, and I ate all of that, and it's just yeah, like, yeah. why, why? And now yeah. I'm like, no, they're all good, aren't they? Well, yes. you know, actually, it's a funny old thing because, like, obviously, I have an enormous amount of love and indeed loyalty towards the sort of conceptual side of of punk rock, but like. There is quite a lot of it that gets a bit silly. Um, and at the end of the day, music's the only thing that really matters. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And it's like, if 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 Fagazi said, that's what the fuck are you going to say about Johnny Cash? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Or Bruce Springsteen? Or, do you know what I mean? It's just, it's like, it's just music at the end of the day, put on the record. Have you ever seen Springsteen? A number of times, yeah. I'm quite a big fan. Um, uh, same here. I've, I've seen him. Well, it's funny. I've seen him probably four times, maybe five. Um, and I've seen him be incredible more often than not, but I have seen him be less than incredible in my life. Uh, I've been lucky enough that he's always been incredible. I, like, I wasn't even that up for seeing him, didn't really know many of his songs. And then my mum's husband said, oh, I've got your ticket. I, like, it's in Spain, I'll pay for everything. And I'm like, right, I'll go. Wow. And, um, and I was absolutely blown away beginning to three hours later and yeah, converted yeah. on that night. And I've seen him those yeah. times since. Just nice. amazing. Yeah, I, saw, I, I was lucky enough, I saw him in Paris not too long ago because a friend of mine, was who, one of my dearest friends who lives in Paris, who is Parisian, I should say, um, he, um, he was working for the, his French booking agency kind of thing, so get me tickets on spec. And so me and the missus got the Eurostar over and made a night of it and went to see Springsteen in Paris, and it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. It's just that kind of, um, like in Spain, people are handing their kids to the front of the stage. <laughs> and like he was going along and picking some of them up, bringing them on stage, picking up their banners, but people were just passing their kids forward. 
It was like Spain's different, isn't it? But it, <laughs> it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty cool though. That's, and um, yeah, I was massively blown away. This family thing going on. So, kind of getting on to, uh, I watched um, your. You did an interview with Tim Lovejoy recently. Yeah. You were talking about CBT, um, yeah. which I found interesting because, funnily enough, after doing like. What, 60 episodes of this we've not really touched on CBT, which, right. is, which is pretty crazy considering I've had CBT. Um, and to some extent, I was kind of, I used to do group work in C, like using CBT techniques. So, um, yeah, I was quite interested in that, um, what you were saying there. But then when you kind of described um, the inception of you deciding to have it, Mm. It sounds very kind of recent and localised. Uh, it is quite recent. I mean, the, uh, the sort of overall story for me with all that kind of thing is that is that um, I've I've had uh, my issues for for all of my adult life and most of my adolescent life as well. In fact, all my adolescent life. Yeah, that's what I was curious about. Yeah. Really, but the I... thing was, like, for 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 a very long time, um, I sort of made do um, and sort of subscribed to the theory that music was enough. And um, you know, the the thing that I've realised as a grown up is that um, music is necessary but not sufficient. Personally, in terms of dealing with my shit, as in, you know of course my favorite records help and of course making music helps and all the rest of it but like actually that's not gonna be the only thing that's not you need other things you need professional involvement to actually sort out my shit but the other thing for me was that like i went through quite a long period of time where i was um i think the term is self-medicating um uh as in uh drinking a lot became doing lots of other things as well um and i went through quite a long pretty chemically infused period of my life um and the problem with that shit is that like when you're up you can sort of convince yourself that everything's fine and then when you're down you convince yourself that you're only down because you're coming down or something um which you probably are do you know what i mean yeah but you're like doubly down like i've done exactly the same yeah like so, doubly down yeah so basically basically when i got together with my missus um Basically, that that's the major part of the story is that um, I, I found the one for me, however you want to put it. And like the very one of the first things that happened was that she sort of she's not somebody who's into the whole world of chemicals and that kind of thing. And she was pretty early on was kind of like, what the fuck is all of this? And like, you know, not having that. Um, and, you know, I sort of knew in my heart of hearts that I couldn't continue to exist like that indefinitely anyway. Um, And this is the very, very short and um, simplified version of this. But, you know, it became a bit of a her or the gear kind of situation. So um, in and then in getting out of it, I sort of realized that there was quite a lot of stuff underneath that as well. Do you know what I mean? Um, That needed to be examined. And um, thankfully, my missus, she's actually training as a psychotherapist right now. Um, and uh, has a long history of being interested in um, mental health stuff. Uh, and so she kind of um, knew lots about it. I'd never heard of CBT. Um, and she sort of told me about it and said, look, I think this would be good for you to check out. And the thing is, like, that was a big step for me just because, like, I was, I was raised in a, in a sort of 
um, stiff upper lip British family. Um, and, yeah, then, yeah. and then I got into hardcore punk, which is all about soldiering on. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so the idea of sort of making that what felt like a concession at the time was a big jump for me. Um, but the good thing, it was, it was, a, it was immediate. Do you know what I mean? The, 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 the power of it, the strength of it was really, really just like straight away. Not, I'm not saying I was fixed straight away, but just as in it was like, I could yeah. see it straight away. It's like, oh yeah, this is going to help. Yeah. Um, and, did, and, yeah. did you have any kind of, um, did you just go from like feeling that and kind of recognising that it'd probably been going on a long time? Because yeah, through adolescence and you end up just doing whatever to kind of avoid it, don't you? Mm. And then, um, did you not, so uh, you had CBT, did you have anything between that? Did you have any therapy to kind of make sense of the no. past? No, 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 not really. I mean, the CBT that I did involved some delving, let's say. Right. Do you know what I mean? It was, it, was, it was definitely, we talked about issues in the past. There's a lot of stuff to do with my relationship with my dad, which I can't really go into the details of and say that we're largely estranged and it was not happy when we weren't and my parents separated quite dramatically um uh when i was in my early 20s um god the same with me exactly the same right and and it's funny because like a lot of people have this idea that like parental divorce is kind of harder when you're younger and and obviously i can't really compare because it didn't happen to me when i was younger but nevertheless i don't think it's easier when you're in your 20s like i pretty much went right drink yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, well, I went right tour. And I mean, there was definitely a sense in which, I mean, I love touring and I'm not in any way doing it down and I especially miss it right now. But there was definitely one could make a case that like my desire to just go, 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 go and not be in one place was motivated by getting away from something, um, you know. And I'm still, even now, like I'm the, I've got two sisters. I'm the crap sibling in the sense that like I sort of forget to call my mum and I don't go home very often. And I'm so. Where, where are you in the, are you the young? I'm, I'm the middle kid. Um, I've got two older sisters. Right, okay. And I get treated like that as well. Yeah, right. But that's it. And, it, you know, just uh, just stuff like the one I always think of as Easter, because they always fucking move the date of Easter every bloody year. My mum calls me about 10 days out from Easter and says, oh, are you coming home for Easter? And the nature of my job is that I'm, you know, I book shows six months in advance. And when you're booking shows, you don't remember when Easter is because it's not the fucking same day every year. <laughs> so I've missed Easter every year since I was like 15 or something, um, just because I've been on tour. <laughs> Oh, it's a nice way to do it. I, you could totally see how that kind of idea of just, oh, I'll just get away, like, yeah. excitement. Well, there's something, and there's something kind of cleansing about tour, which is the sense that if you're in a different place every day. You leave. At the end of the night, you leave. And it's kind of funny because you sort of land in whatever town you're in and you've got not even 24 hours because it's travel time. You know, you've got however long you're there. And you can get drunk and you can, if you're single and in the mood, you can sort of talk to people you're interested in or whatever else it might be. And it sort of doesn't matter because you're like Cinderella. At a certain point, you're fucking out there, you know. And then the next day, it's like the slate's been wiped clean and you can do it again. And that's really kind of fun and liberating, but it's also quite sort of emotionally um, stunting in its way. Do you know what I mean? Because you get quite bad at responsibility as a concept. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you, you don't really have any responsibilities apart from get out there and play. No, right. I, I did. I did like a, a bit of a kind of tour, and um, and I was kind of in a similar position where like my parents had split up, 
and um, yeah, I was in my early twenties, and uh, and I actually found it really hard going. Like I just would, I, I would just really hit the boots because it's like right, that's what you're meant to do. But I would find the days like it's sitting in the van and things just everything just really pulling at me because I'm like I can't talk to any of these because people in music don't seem to talk much. And it well. Was, yeah, I mean, one of one of the first rules yeah. of touring is don't don't fucking don't get involved in other people's shit unless they ask. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, don't bring you, don't bring personal stuff in. We're all meant to be having a laugh and taking it seriously. Yeah, well, but also it's just the thing is you all murder each other within about five minutes if you all immediately try and involve each other in your own personal lives. If somebody asks and brings you in, that's different. But it's just like there's a degree of there's a survival thing on the road that I've found over the years, which is just you just kind of leave people be unless they ask and sometimes that's not a terrible way of being but i mean as you and i both know the asking part can be the hardest bit do you know what i mean yeah. and and um and you're all living in each other's back pocket i mean even on a bus you're basically sleeping in a dormitory mm. with each other do you know what i mean so you know it, it can be quite pressure cooker yeah i just found out you know especially after those kind of days and days and days and days of getting wasted like you get really really burnt out and yeah. then you feel really, yes, it gets, really it gets worse as you get older as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, it's funny, like, I look back at like some of the tour schedules we did in like 2007, 2008. We do like literally like 24 shows in a row without a day off. And like the very idea of doing that now makes my teeth hurt. It's just like, oh my God, how did we even do that? And it's because we were in our 20s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't do it. I started doing music with someone recently and he was going, oh, we could go on tour. And I'm like, Oh, really? <laughs> I've got children. <laughs> oh, they're a little bit older now, but really? Yeah, well, I won't close the door on anything. So tell me about um, what was good, though, is that you're, so, like, you do get, um, like, you get prescription. Like, if you go through the NHS database, you'll get a prescription of uh, CBT, which is pretty much six sessions, which isn't right. really enough. And they just go... No, 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 we're just doing CBT. And like it might introduce some tiny bits of what's going on. But yeah. essentially they're going, No, no, we just change the way you think. So it's good that actually you had someone who did kind of was a bit more uh multimodal, you know, like talking yeah, about definitely. One of the things that was good for me, and I mean, you know, I, 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 uh, I'll be honest about this, I, I put money aside and didn't go through the NHS for it, partly because I could afford to and partly because because I can afford to, I don't want to strain NHS resources. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But like, but it, it, one of the things I found interesting and powerful about it was that it, it wasn't, she, the, the person I spoke to, the, my, my therapist, um, sort of said, look, we're not just going to do this every week indefinitely. Um, she was like, I want to do like eight sessions and then I want you to go away and see what happens. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And, and, and which is what we did. And then I went back and I went, and, you know, and we, we definitely sort of, we'd have intensive periods of it and then a break. And that was really, um, I thought that was really good actually, because it was a bit like, you know, it, it was kind of like, this isn't like the new normal. You're not going to be somebody who's in therapy once a week forever kind of thing. Yeah. So, and, I, and it absolutely didn't like, like I say, it wasn't a light switch change in terms of my actual life and my behavior at all. Um, and there were definitely, relapses would be the polite way of putting it um uh but like you know it, it was i thought it was kind of cool the way that they were just kind of like let's just really get into it for a short short period of time see what that does and then we can sort of fine tune it and that was really useful for me that is good i think what happens is people go into therapy and they're like go on and fix me 
And I, yeah. I, I've had lots of different therapists over the years. And, uh, and basically now I just say, no, they just, they help you fix yourself, but no one can just fix you. And like, what's good about CBT is that there is that, right, we're going to give you a load of skills, go away and do them and come back. Yeah, totally. totally. And, like, and then you can test and reflect. Yes. And one of the other things, one of the big things for me, because like I say, obviously my relationship with my now wife is a big part of this. But one of the things that I've learned that, you know, they told me and the DG told me and, and I figured out for myself is it's like, you have to fix yourself for yourself. You can't be like, I'm going to do this for the benefit of my partner or whatever, because it's just kind of, it's false. Do you know what I mean? You've got to, you've yeah, got to be yeah, okay yeah. on your own terms. Mm -hmm before you can move forward with your engagement with somebody else. Do you know what I mean? And I think, you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad that, I've, that they sort of were quite adamant about that. They were like, we're not going to fix you and you can't just fix yourself for your missus. You've got to fix you, yourself, for yourself kind of thing. And then move out, you know, move on with the rest of your life. Yeah, you don't really do it properly if, unless you, like, for, I think for me, like, the big moving point was when I was like, oh, I've just had enough can't do it anymore and like, I've got wife and kids and things and they weren't the thing that really like they contributed for my reason to really get stuck into it but it was mostly that like, I was just like I cannot do it anymore like no more of this crap like just that dark shit all the time um yeah, and essentially yeah if you don't do it for yourself then you're not really doing it because mm. like when it's tough you'll be like oh fuck it it's no, right, mean. completely. Or, you know, if, if you do it for the sake of a relationship and that relationship ceases, then you're fucked. You're back to square one. Yeah. You know, um, fortunately, that hasn't happened to me, but like, I can see the argument there, you know, and it's just, you've, you've got to, you've got to kind of figure out your own foundations. Yeah, totally, totally. So how about when you were younger then? What, did you struggle with things when you were like younger? You said adolescence? <laughs> I, I did. I mean, um, I my adolescence was punctured with um, quite literally with quite a lot of self harm and um, uh, suicidal episodes and that kind of thing. Not serious ones, I should add, but like definitely sort of demonstrative. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, not in a. I'm, I'm not convinced that my parents know about that, any of that now. Um, and I'm not sure that it's a conversation that I'm in a hurry to have. My sisters know about it, but like, but yeah, and it, but it's funny because like, there's been a lot of displacement activity in my life in the sense that like, you know, going on tour is one thing. Um, interestingly, uh, I've never really talked about this in a public forum before, but fuck it, we're here. Um, uh, like, you you know, the the time period in which self harm was in my life stopped at the exact same moment that kind of substance abuse became a thing. Yeah, the same. They're very, I mean, much, exactly. very much the same. But but quite specifically for me, just in the sense that if I do the drugs that I was interested in, it ruins my voice and I can't sing for a couple of days. And if you're a professional singer, yeah. that means it's a form of self-harm on some level. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, if I do this, I'm out of action as a singer for X number of days. Um, and that was subconscious and pretty conscious at times as well do you know what i mean it was just kind of like and so it is yeah it's, it's the same thing it's self-harm in the sense that it's like you know obviously my passion is playing music and my love and my and all the rest of it and if i do something that harms that that is self-harm yeah i think um like i just kind of boil it all down to self-destructive behaviors so like you know like 
doing drinking fucking loads and doing loads of drugs you know aren't good for you. They stop you feeling shit, but essentially you're kind of killing yourself slowly. Yeah. Um, well, they, yeah, they stop you feeling shit, but they stop you feeling. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, helpful, though, it's, as it's placed, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's self-medication, it's, it's painkilling or whatever. But, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and, and it's funny, well, this is the other thing, is that, like, within the music world, um, there's a couple of things. I mean, first of all, there's a fair amount of bravado around that kind of like, I know it's killing me, but fuck it, I'm going to drink a bottle of whiskey. Um, but also, not even just that, one of the things that I've reflected on quite a lot as I've got older is that, like, well, two things. First of all, in my travel through the music industry, very rarely have there been any grown-ups in the room, by which I mean, I started touring when I was about 16, got hard into it when I was in my early 20s, and the oldest person I knew on the road was probably 28. Do you know what I mean? And there were just no grown-ups around. There was no one who had miles under their belt. Or at least very rarely would you encounter somebody who'd be like, yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years already. And the thing is, now that I'm in a place where I've been doing this for more than 20 years, I don't want to be patronizing or be unsolicited with anybody, but I do occasionally run into younger bands and you sort of see them in the dressing room and everybody's like in a hurry to get fucked up. And you can just be a bit like, guys, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Do you know what I mean? And like, you're not obliged to do that if you don't want to do it. And that going to bed early of a night is not like selling out rock and roll. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. I wonder why there was no one older around, though. Maybe that's because well, they couldn't cope. No, well, it's also the, le the it's the, partly the level of touring that I was operating at, and that there are older people. People who tour for a long time tend to end up in the upper echelons of the business because they've been doing it for a long time. So, for example, my my um, sometime stage manager, a guy called Phil Murphy, he's in his he's going to kill me if I get this wrong. He's in his late fifties now, I think. Um, but you know. I'm definitely the smallest act that he works with and he's been out with Queen in recent years and all this kind of thing. And that's the thing, because he's got so much experience under his belt, yeah. he doesn't tend to work with bands who are all 21 who've just signed their first record deal. So that's yeah. the thing. It sort of filters out that way. Do you know what I mean? Um, uh, and, but yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it, there is that sort of thing. I, I look back and I'm just like, where were the fucking adults? Do you know what I mean? funny, isn't it? And you think, yeah, there, if, there, if there was no adults there, there's no one just going, look, take it easy. Right, you know, and just kind of, well, and like I say, just like it's it's not like a sign of weakness or something to be ashamed of if you kind of go, you know what, tonight I don't want a Jaeger bomb. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? What? Yeah, yeah, and everyone's like, come on, you fucking can't. And uh, do you know what I mean? And like to have somebody standing around just be like, nah, um, would be good. But the, the and the other thing I was going to mention as well is just that like I, I the one thing that you can always get on tour is booze. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like and and like many many years booze has been much more readily available than food for me. Do you know what I mean? Because you get to a venue and you've got a case of beer and a bottle of whiskey or, or whatever in your dressing room. And then you might also have some food or buy up some food or catering or whatever you have. But the booze definitely comes first in the sort of hierarchy of needs in the music industry. And, and, and indeed, if you drink all of it, more often than not, someone will bring you more. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah, and, and that's brilliant when you're young, isn't it? Yeah, well, exactly, but it's 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 too easy. Do you know what I mean? And like, um, I, I mean, in, in later life, I've been fortunate enough that the guys in my touring band, the Sleeping Souls, are all five years older than me, at least, if not more. And that's been quite useful for me over the years, in the sense that it's not a radical difference, and it's not like they did masses more touring before we started touring together. But nevertheless, you know. Um, and I don't mean there's any bad way at all to the guy, but like Nigel, my drummer, is 10 years older than me and he doesn't drink. And it's like, 
I'm not saying that at any point he was judgmental of me because that's not what I mean, but it was like, if you're sitting there kind of going, ah, and then you turn around and the night is just kind of reading a book in the corner, getting ready for bed. It does give you pause. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, and it gives you the alternative. Like, if you don't, exactly. don't want to, you, there's, there's someone over there who's just chilling yeah. out. You can well, just... and more often than not, he's playing better than me on any given evening because he didn't get fucked up last night. Do you know what I mean? yeah. I never felt that bad about. I, I used to just get really drunk, drunk whilst I was playing, and, uh, <laughs> and then I, like, uh, did you ever do it when like I, there was a time when it was just whenever I played, I was drunk. So rehearsal drunk, uh, any gig drunk, right. and then I didn't play music for a while, and then I started again, and I I started driving by then. I didn't start driving until I was kind of like nearly thirty. And uh, I drove to the rehearsal space and it was like, oh, fuck. They're so missing him. <laughs> They're so serious missing him. And it yeah. was really weird. Yeah, I, I do know what you mean. I mean, I definitely, I went through quite a long period of playing, dr playing shows drunk. And like, there were occasions when it was miserably shit. Like, um, I did a gig once in, I think it was in Liverpool. And my only real memory of the show is walking on stage and finding it quite difficult to announce who I was. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it's a solo show. It's not like I could like, oh, really? through. do you know what I mean? And apparently at one point, I don't remember this at all. Apparently at one point I dropped my pick and it was carpeted stage. And I spent like two and a half minutes trying to pick my pick up off the ground, oh, which isn't a good look. Um, and it, yeah, so... The thing is, I mean, I definitely kind of like, also as time has gone by playing with a full band and our bands, our shows have got more kind of athletic and energetic and more kind of like punk, I suppose, like, well, hardcore might be the word. Um, and, and like, I sort of realized, thankfully, reasonably early on that um, uh, it's quite hard to do that well if you're pissed. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Having a, we do, to this day, I'll have a nip of usually tequila before I go on because, like, taking the edge off and, and letting yourself kind of relax a bit, but very rarely more than just a little nip. It makes you a bit tired as well, doesn't it? If you're really trashed, you start kind of. I remember seeing the stones at Twickenham a few years ago, and uh, like after about they they exploded onto the stage, and it was amazing, and then um. After about four songs, most of them went back to just standing right by the drum kit and barely really doing anything. And I was like, that's what I used to be like when I was trapped. Just going crazy. And then after a while, you're like, oh, I'm knackered. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, we always have the first gig of a tour when you haven't toured for a while, you're not gig fit. Do you know what I mean? And like, it's fun. It doesn't matter how much you rehearse because it's a different thing, you know, a show versus a rehearsal room. I do the worst one. I remember we did a show. It was the first gig of the year in probably like 2014 or something. We played a show in Utrecht in in, uh, in Holland. And I just remember standing on stage being like, first of all, I'm fucking exhausted. And secondly, I feel like I can't quite remember what I'm doing or what the fuck I'm supposed to be doing or how this goes or like, why are all these people here? Ah, this is just what? Yeah, yeah, totally. But it's funny, though, the one thing I've never had a massive issue with, though, which I know that some people do, is, like, stage fright kind of stuff. Just because, you know, I started playing gigs when I was about 15, and I, being on stage is the one place where I feel really relaxed and comfortable, actually, funnily enough, like, more so than pretty much anywhere else. So, interestingly, then, uh, like, I'm pretty similar. I'm a, I love showing off, but my issues have always been kind of self-loathing and thinking I'm shit. Yeah. So it's well, yeah. So it's almost like, um, yeah, when I'm up in front of people showing off, uh, 
yeah, suddenly none of that, that all just seems to disappear. Like, I don't feel that. I don't feel, none of that really goes through my head. But all my life, like, all my mental health issues have been around that. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. Um, yeah, because I would, I would, I know exactly what you mean, and I'd agree. And, like, it's, it's, it's funny, because it's not like you're presenting a different version of yourself on stage, but it's just, like, you're sort of, for me, it's like, and I don't mean to sound arrogant anyway, but it's like, when I'm up on stage, it's like I'm supposed to be here. There's the one thing in the world that I'm, I know I'm supposed to be doing. Look, they bought tickets. They yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? So, I so it's all right. Whereas, like, I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, this is obviously a minor, this is a, a small symptom, but, like, you know, I'm the kind of person I, I lie awake at night examining the things I said in conversation during the day and going, oh, fuck, about, about you know, 40% of what I said, you know, sober or drunk, and just thinking, oh, I probably came across a bit of a prick when I said that and all the rest of it. And uh, whereas I don't feel like that about shows, do you know what I mean? I just get on with it. So the, yeah, yeah, that's a bit more self-loathing, isn't it? Really? Like, oh, what have I done? You know, what have I done? To, you know, I might have upset someone. Yeah. And like, yeah, because with me, it was always, uh, oh, you know, I'd, I'd do that and it'd be like, oh, I'm so shit. You know, it's me. I'm so useless. And um, I don't, I've, I, I've got over that. Like, it took me uh, 30-odd years, but I'm kind of pretty over that now. But I, that I, was... That's still something I, I wrestle with on a nightly basis. <laughs> yeah, I t but it's funny what you said about... Um, you go on stage and you're like, I can't... Like, this is... So I, I had this conversation with someone a while ago and uh, they were saying, oh, like, they feel like they're shit. And I'm like, you can't be that shit because you're doing all these good things for people. And then I was like... Ah, and I can't be that shit either because I'm trying to help people with mental health. Yeah. And it was like, maybe I'm not shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the, the way that comes back to probably the, the most useful kind of thought, the most useful thought, I guess, that, yeah, that, that I've ever really had in my time was just like, and I say, that, I say this to myself and I try and say this to other people to share it because I think it's a really good thing, is like, like, Try and consider yourself in the way that you consider your friends. Generally speaking, most of the people I know who have mental health issues tend to be like really kind of like forgiving people when it comes to other people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If your mate's late, if your mate or whatever, you just you're like, oh, it's cool. And you know, you look you look for the good in your friends and all the rest of it. And then what you do is you don't do that to yourself. Where you turn it on yourself and then you immediately you're hunting out all the shit bits, you're focusing on all your shortcomings, you're you're discounting anything you might have done that might be constructive or positive or contributory or whatever. Um, and, and like, you know, it's just like, imagine just not all the time, but just occasionally try and picture yourself as if, if you were a friend of yourself, do you know what I mean? And how you'd feel about you, because you'd then be really forgiving and encouraging and all the rest of yeah, it. Yeah, what a lovely idea. Like, that's a really nice little, that's kind of what I really like to get out of the podcast, really, is trying to give people these little nuggets that you can like, walk away with and go. Yeah. Maybe if I kind of, like, yeah, we do, we forgive everyone else, especially people like who have kind of got problems. You're kind of like, well, right. they might be having problems. Exactly, so, yeah, you, don't, you don't apply that to yourself. No. And I'm not saying that you should all the time necessarily in the sense that a little bit of self-criticism is part yeah, of a yeah. healthy mental makeup. Of course it is. And, and if you didn't, you'd probably be miles up your own ass. But like, generally speaking, particularly if you're having a shit time, do you know what I mean? If you're having a rough day or a rough couple of days or a rough month or whatever it might be, to just sort of consider, well, what, how would I react to this if I was outside of it? 
you know, I'd probably be like, oh, fuck, man, like, chill out. It's cool. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I get it. And, and you, you'd be open and warm and forgiving all the rest of it in a way that you aren't with yourself. And, and I think that for me, that's just, I can't remember what, who told me that, but like, it's been a really useful thought uh, tool, I suppose. Yeah. It's just kind of getting that, uh, putting yourself in the third person. Yeah. Just, 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 just every now and again, just to just kind of take the edge off a little bit, you know? I like that. I like that. Yeah. So you still getting tattoos done? Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm definitely getting towards the kind of gap-filling part of that. Project. I think I went through a period of... Uh, like I, learned, I, learned, I decided to learn to tattoo, and then I tattooed myself. And right. I got a bit too interested in tattooing. Like, I think I went through <laughs> this period of, this is acceptable self-harm. Because I get a nice picture at the end, so I'm covered in them. Right, fair enough. I mean, I think for me, like, this is an interesting thing, because there's, the psychology of tattoos is interesting to me. Um, uh, I mean, I, I'm really interested in like tattoo history and culture and the rest of it and, and, and that kind of thing. But like one of the things about tattoos, so for example, my wife doesn't have any tattoos. We've talked yeah, about my wife doesn't. Right. Yeah. My, my missus has occasionally said that she might think about getting one. And one of the things I sort of say was like, I don't mean this is like a, to sound like a warning necessarily, but it's like it will change the way that you regard yourself. Because when you get your first one done, you kind of go, Ooh, I can change things. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like mm-hmm. the thing that I like about tattoos is that like I look the way that I do, as superficial as it might be on some levels, I look the way that I do because I've chosen to look like that. Do you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, and and for me, and uh, forgive me for being a bit dewy eyed for a second, but punk rock conceptually is about self creation for me. It's about, it's about self definition, about like, I'm going to be this person as opposed to the person that I was brought up to be or that I'm supposed to be or that people think I should be, whatever, you know. And it's like, and it's, it is obviously it's skin deep. It's, you can regard it as trivial or whatever, but it's like, you know, it's like my hands are like this because I made the decision to make them look like that. And that's on me. And yeah. I'm, and, and it's about how I present myself to the world. I'm really into that, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's the thing that I really like about it. I mean, I know what you mean about the pain self harm thing. I would say that like, I mean, I'm 38 and like, you know, when you're younger and getting tattooed, everybody has arguments about which bit hurts the most. Yeah. And then you get older and you realise that what hurts the most is the most recent one after a certain yeah. point in time. They all just fucking hurt. Yeah, Love right, it. totally. And it's just, it just gets worse you get older. <laughs> I, mean, I tell you, tattooing yourself doesn't really hurt nearly as much. Right, it's really it. weird because you, you're so conscious of what you're doing, you don't really feel it. Right, right. I started to get pretty decent here after a while, but um, yeah, but it makes my back ache. I have tattooed a handful of people in my time and it I can't draw either, so oh, it's a fucking disaster. Nobody should ever put a tattoo gun in my hands as bad. It's a weird thing though, like tattooing is that it's an experience. When you like especially your early tattoos, uh like it's it's a proper experience. So like um, you know, all through the oh it needs to mean something to in the end I'll just fuck it, I'll get whatever. And then you get it done and you've endured something, you know, like it, it yeah. hurt a lot. And, but you sat there and you did it. And yeah. I, um, it's almost like doing like, I don't know, I was, I was watching this thing on people doing LSD. Uh, it was on Netflix. It's almost like that. Yeah. 
You know, I, like, well, my, my mate Matt Hunt in Birmingham, who does most of my work these days, he um, he once said to me that tattoos are a bit like sex in the sense that before the first time you think about it for fucking years and you it's got to be perfect and it's got to mean something and all the rest of it, and then you go through a lot of period of time where, and you end up at like you're in a bar and somebody goes, "Do you want it?" and you're like, "Yeah." <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know, I totally get that. Uh, yeah, I've been very much the same. Yeah. Uh, but like, I kind of, uh, like, I've liked, um, with life generally now, is that I don't tend to think too far ahead. I just try and think of everything as lots of nice experiences. Yeah, totally. Well, the thing I would say to my mum, because my mum hates my tattoos, I would say that she's like, well, are they going to be meaningful forever and all this shit? And, and the answer is, is they're stickers on a suitcase. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, you know, or, or on a or guitar case or whatever. It's just like, you know, I went here, I did this. And it's like, no, I'm not the age I was when I got this done anymore and never will be again. But like, that was a thing that happened that was cool. Yeah, exactly. And it is. It's like, it, it reminds you of things. It reminds you of times in your life. And normally when you've got a tattoo done, it's normally a really fairly decent time. Well, well exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. So what, um, what have you got? Now I'll tell you what I wanted to know, I, I talked to the, I had um, a guy on the other day, Scott Sorry, he's, uh, he played bass for the Wild Hearts and he was in Amen, yeah, yeah. and, um, uh, and I said to him, like what was your, uh, like I just wanted to cast, uh, it's great talking to like people in music, like, I feel really lucky to do that and, uh, and I was like, uh, what's your, like, your, your biggest kind of rock and roll thing? And then he kind of turned it around on me because he said, like, that's all bullshit. And I was like, all right. So then he told me, like, what was his, one of his most poignant things. And it was, it was basically that he got to uh, support the damned and he loved the damned all of his life. And then yeah. um, they asked him if he would come up to cover the bass player because he wasn't there. And I was like, oh, I really love that. Have you got any, have you got any, like, yeah. I've been so lucky with that kind of thing. Like, I mean, one of, one of the biggest ones for me is that I'm I'm f sort of friends, acquaintances, but sort of friends with Adam Jurits from Counting Crows. I oh, grew yeah. up with Counting Crows. Yeah, and, um, you know, and we text each other every now and again these days. Um, and uh, a few years ago at a festival we played, and I think they were on either straight after us or maybe the band after kind of thing. And, um, and Adam came over and asked if I wanted to introduce him on stage. And, uh, and I, you know, I was like, yeah <laughs> you know and just being able to do stuff like that but like i mean i played guitar with no effects at a festival one time and that was wow. off the rails you know and like I've, I've been so very lucky to have a lot of bits and bobs like that happen in my time and in fact i mean no effects is an interesting one because like fat mike and i are good friends i would say and and um that's really weird because i listen to more no effects than pretty much anything else growing up and uh and you know um we chat every few days and that's fucking weird <laughs> he's quite an inspiring character actually i watched uh there's a there's a documentary on uh amazon like a no effects documentary well mostly about him yeah. and it's like like i've just found that kind of stuff really inspiring people who have just got up and done it but mike is mike is easily the punkest person i've ever met in my life and like he doesn't give a fuck, but like in 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 a mostly good way. I mean, there are yeah, different yeah. times when it gets a bit weird, but like um, you know, he's definitely the punkest motherfucker uh, in the world, as far as I'm concerned. And 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 also a, a really interesting, intelligent guy who's an incredible songwriter and blah blah blah. But like, yeah, yeah good dude. 
it's really inspiring, isn't it? I love seeing things like that. Well, it's the same with you. You know, it's inspiring to see people get up there and go and do it and do things on their own terms. Like, that blows me away. That's what it's all about. Well, I think we're about done. This has been an absolute blast. I'm just I'm really enjoying it in person. Well, hopefully, we'll, hopefully, hopefully, we'll get to we'll get to do it sometime. I'll stay in touch. I tell you what, I, what I would like to do. I do pictures, drawings. Um, I'd love to send you one of my drawings as a thank you. Oh, I'd love that. That'd be amazing. If you like, email me your address. I'll post you something. Yeah, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll send it to you. Um, yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Thank you very much, man. That's really kind. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Oh, thank you ever so much, Frank. This has been amazing. Hey, what a pleasure. Well, listen, I mean, as and when Lost Stevens gets up and running again, we'll get this involved next time around. I'd love to. I'd love to. Thank you, mate. Take thank care. You, Take care. Have a good one. Look after yourself. And you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 